Matt, it has come to my attention that uh, in the time of need, something I, I never thought would actually come out, there is uh, the New Jersey governor, I believe, has put out a call for COBOL programmers. <laughs> uh, evidently, the unfortunately, the uh, one of the government sites that everyone's trying to use right now is, uh, I guess, undergoing tremendous uh, load, and I, evidently they need some uh, some help with COBOL. So I looked around. And I was like, well, I've heard about these like mythical jobs of a COBOL programmer with certain skills can make an incredibly high consulting rate. But then I yeah. went out and I looked around, and I was like, I didn't see that. I saw COBOL programmers generally being looked for for just pretty standard rates. So I thought, you know, you've, you've got some time in, in the enterprise and banking. Like, do, do these uh, mythical jobs of incredibly highly paid COBOL programmers, do they exist? And, and do I need to crack open the COBOL book and uh, actually try to learn it? I, I think it's, it's – they're pitching that COBOL is highly paid because when the people originally wrote those programs, they were not highly paid. Because, <laughs> like, I remember – I remember when I was talking about, you know, enrolling in college, you know, way back in the, the Stone Ages, and I had a cousin who he had just graduated with a computer science degree. He was making $21,000 a year. Okay. And right. it was like, that was not a good salary at the time. No. Um, <laughs> Nor is it a good salary and, now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, adjusted dollars, still not very good. But, um, you know, and then... He he worked for Google for a while, like you know he's you know shining rock rock star and all that now. But um, it was not a well paying field, and so probably a lot of these COBOL programmers, you know, they they remember those battle days where you know their salaries capped out in like nineteen eighty four dollars at like you know twenty seven thousand, and they're like, so you telling me I can make what fifty four thousand? You're gonna double my salary? No, thank you. You know, so so maybe. Maybe if you take those numbers and adjust them for today, it sounds a little bit better. But I don't think the COBOL people are, are in demand unless unless you're like the COBOL rock star, right? The COBOL rock star who understands how that all that old crazy stuff works and can bridge it into the new world, right? Mm -hmm. They don't really need people to come in and like patch their COBOL. They need someone to come in, figure out what the heck is going on, and slowly replace those pieces with modern stuff. All right, so you're like talking Stringler yeah. pattern. You're talking like some digital yeah, transformation Stringler there. So, oh, yeah. so it all comes back. In the end, it all comes back the big to money's us. money's in digital transformation. It, it's not in. <laughs> so I did. And uh, I have, uh, full disclosure, I have never written one line of COBOL. So I, I went out and I was like, well, what does the syntax look like? So it yeah. reminded me a little bit of Fortran, which I did write yeah. a very long time ago. I, I, yeah. Uh, in college. Three versions of it. <laughs> So before Tran, you know, it had the, you know, it was always, it was always pitched as this like really good, you know, you know, good for analysis and scientific things. And I don't know, I just did it. You know what I did? I did a couple projects and then in college, I got a grade and I forgot about it. That's what I did with Fortran. But then uh, I will say, well, just looking at the COBOL syntax, because again, know nothing about the language, but feel for, I'm, why not? Why don't I just judge it based only on the syntax? One, everything seems to be in all caps. So just like reading it, just like looking at it, I feel like the code is yelling at me. That was it's, the first it's strike. Old men yelling at you. That's who writes it. <laughs> but just when you look at it, like it's like procedure, and it's like oh, mm -hmm. everything is like it's it's just a very aggressive syntax. That was my my first reaction. Was like I don't know. I don't know if I could be in here because you know just give me. And I know this is probably a lot of debate, but you know, see, I always like the C style syntax. Like give me some curly braces. Just give me some lowercase things. Yeah, that, that's where I want to be. You know, the Java, uh, the C, the C plus plus. I don't like the pointer syntax. I, that always. How many asterisks do I need? That that confuses right. me. Well, that's why we all moved to Java because it's like, <laughs> does anyone want to learn this pointer stuff? I mean, it's just it just was nothing but memory leaks all the way down. Anyway, so, uh, but I, you know, I've been helping my uh, son as I probably mentioned many times. Like Python, I don't. I mean, the Python, the no curly brackets, killing me. I just like you know, just the spaces. That is just. I mean, I guess it's the new thing and I need to adopt, but I have to, I have to say I have a real problem with it. You know, I want some brackets in my code. I, I don't, I mean, I understand about the readability, but give me some brackets back. Um, wait, wait till you start programming in YAML. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. So, okay. All right. So we're, um, so the mythical $500,000 COBOL programming job where I just show up and I patch a few lines of COBOL, you're telling me? That does not exist. I'm going to have to. I, 
I haven't. I mean, I doubt it. Because you told really me though there was one time on a, on the show you told me that there was a you worked with a banking consultant and he had some set of oh, yeah, specialized yeah. skills that yeah. was something like cobol like and I don't know was it cobol or something right and and he and, was making huge money. Oh yeah, there there are definitely. That's what I'm saying. You know, you can't just drop in as a cobol generalist. <laughs> you need to show up, you know, with your, you know, there's like you and some other dude who show up once a year at the Cobalt Conference and trade notes, and you are the two people who all the banks in the world call on, right? Because okay. there are a lot of jobs like that. And I, I say, dudes, I've actually met some women who are doing those roles too. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's old and specialized, and you know, you know what? You're not in the CNCF landscape chart, um, but. But uh, there are there are roles like that. Um, I I don't know how you break into that, right? How do you decide like I'm going to be you know the COBOL on the S390 to AS400 translator guy? Because <laughs> um, they all work at IBM uh, or or in the IBM ecosystem, right? There are all these like little tiny consulting shops of like two people who you know they work you know they they get ibm badges but they don't work for ibm <laughs> right that's I've the best that's that's consultants. when you know yeah. you're like you're the big time so yeah i don't know i i you know because it is i mean they do have that being said you can download cobalt and run it on most platforms you know there's i was out there playing around with it you can it can be done i don't know how you would get any practical experience Unless you let, let, somehow had a mainframe hanging around, I don't know why you would have that in your house. But you, you, I guess it would be one of the things you need to get paid to learn it, right? Someone's gonna have to yeah. bring you in, and then once they pay you, then you probably leave them and hold them hostage. Well, now that you've trained me, you, get, you have to pay me more. You have to give me experience on this. Well, and 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 I do remember, you know, I'm sure they're still doing it. IBM making like campus calls. Uh, you know, on the recruiting thing and be like, you know, come learn the exciting world of mainframes and, you know, well, you'll have job security for the next 40 years. And, you know, like, I guess so. <laughs> well, that's what <laughs> I don't believe. Like, that's that's the the um, the ultimate thing I'm trying to challenge here is like, I don't think there there's as much job security or high paying um, money as I was led to believe. That's what I, I, I'm not sure about. No, no, no. There's a difference between high paying and job security in this true. field. That's true. Right? Yes. You can, you know, there are a lot of, you know, we are in a super ivory tower industry, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Right now in the world. What's beyond how, ivory how tower? People should work from home. And I'm <laughs> like, right. oh, everybody listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes. Right? And, you know, people may, you know, bitch and groan, but you know, we're not making $20,000 a year anymore. Right. This is and, you know, a fair number of people are, are, you know, over six figures. That's way above, you know, the average in the world. Um, and so, you know, yes, you might be a COBOL programmer and, you know, you might make, you know, 80,000, 100,000 a year. That's still a really good salary for True. you know, a lot of people. True. Now, take granted, there are, you know, a lot of uh, higher, much higher salaries out there. Um, but, uh, you know, you can make a real good living being a COBOL programmer at a bank. Listen, I think so. I want to hear. So if you are a COBOL programmer at a bank and you're doing really well, are your jobs in demand? Uh, send us an email, join us in Slack. I want, I just want to hear about like what you're doing. Like what is, what is the typical COBOL project today? Cause, cause to your point about if it's, uh, if you're doing digital transformation, I think we probably get it. But if you're just patching some COBOL, I'm even interested in that. Like, what are you actually fixing? Like, what's broken at this point? It seems like it's working, right? You just, like, keep it going. So I want to hear from all the COBOL. I want to hear from all the COBOL programmers. All right, Matt. Well, listen, we got a review this week that I actually read in uh, iTunes. And so the, the review was a one-star review. It was, uh, but I have to say, he said that uh, his take on the show was like, we didn't talk enough about the topics. We did too much back and forth. So, so in the spirit of being customer driven right out of the Amazon playbook, we are going to, we're going to pick up the pace today. We're going to do more topics. We've got a great new sponsor, Mongo, we're going to hear about, and, and we're going to bring you incredible, insightful full takes in a very quick manner. Do you think we can do it? <laughs> I think we could talk a lot. <laughs> I don't think we could do it, but nonetheless, we're going to push on. And we're going to try. Okay. We're going to start with last time we were together, we talked an incredible amount about unikernels 
And I think we yes. we sort of left it like not really sure it makes a lot of sense, but kind of interesting. Turns mm-hmm. out the internet, our friend Brian Cantrell has written a post that I think is three years old where he does a complete takedown of Unicurl. Unicurls. Yes. It's uh, his title of it is uh, Unicurls are unfit for production. So it's a long, it's a long read. It's a good read. But I will just the, the two nuggets I took away from it were one. He tells us there are no processes. Seems to be a huge problem. That seems to be a huge problem with today's yep. programs. And then two, he his real takedown is uh, as he says here. Unikernels are entirely undebuggable. And then he goes on to say, by depriving application developers of the tools of a user protection boundary, the principle of least privilege is violated. Any vulnerability in an application tautologically roots the unikernel. So he's just saying he did not buy the security uh, yeah. uh, thing at all. So after reading this article, I was like, well, I was pretty much like, oh, uh, subject closed. I didn't have anything yeah, yeah. else to say. I, I thought he was 100% correct. <laughs> the the best thing is, I know I know. last episode I was like, yeah, there's probably probably some use cases where it makes sense. And, and I had like kind of talked myself into believing that. And so um, probably if you were a longtime listener of the show, you realize I'm perfectly happy changing my mind. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is, I remember reading this article four years ago when it came out and being like, yeah, he's right. And in the meantime, I kind of like I haven't been using unicorns because nobody else has. And <laughs> and then, I, you know, remembering like, oh, yeah, you can't debug them for shit. Um, and so that's that's the killer is is, yes, you might eke out a tiny bit of performance. Be you know, you might eke out a tiny bit of, you know, theoretical security posture. But the fact that you can't debug them for anything and they're hard to understand when they fail, I mean, that that negates any perceived benefits, and so uh, my 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 uh, my strong conviction has has quickly changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is. I mean, when someone really smart just takes it down, there's just uh, little you can do to actually I don't know, retort. So so I really took from it like he he makes the case, and it's clearly um, I don't know. I was just like, hey, we don't need to do it. So. Unicernals dead. We're done with that topic. We won't probably discuss it ever again. We'll just reference this until I forget and bring it back. <laughs> until, up that's right. Until someone throws something provocative and we completely forget about all these things. But thank you to one of uh, our listeners in the Slack. I think they even called you out. They said Matt Ray, the ghost of Brian <laughs> Cantrell, is haunting you, and uh, that's where we got that note. So. He's not a ghost. He's cranking out podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he's not a ghost. He's just he's he's on to something new and better. So okay. All right. The next topic was uh, our friends uh, release a survey here about you know k native and a bunch of other things so this is what i learned in one of the cncf uh, takeaways was like okay envoy and istio are deployed together i don't know was that news i think that seems to be pretty much what everybody does if you're going to use istio you're going to deploy envoy yeah 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 i i think you know there's there's probably some other folks mixing in some some linkerd and other stuff in there but uh uh i guess nginx was was number two. Yeah, so it's well, like, although yeah. the, the, the point they made in the article is, although Envoy is far behind the leader for Kubernetes ingress, so it's basically 62% for Nginx, uh, that changes among the 18% of the study that use Istio. So what it comes down to is, if you're not using Istio and you're just doing the most vanilla thing, you use an Nginx, right? And if you decide mm-hmm. that you're going to use Istio, you're going to use Envoy. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess this kind of leads to the thing. I know people hate when I say this, but I always just feel like Envoy, Istio, which, I mean, I know it's different. I get it, the sidecar versus service mesh, but it's kind of just the same. Like, you need it all together, right? Like, <laughs> it's, you it's need us, it. To, it's the same. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like you need one, you and, need the other. And, and to the consumers, they don't care. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's more <laughs> importantly. Um, and the other thing was, uh, the other big takeaway is if you're going to do serverless and you're going to basically install some, uh, software you're going to use K native, so that seems to be that's, far and away yeah. the most. But, but look, looking at the graph, that's like, oh, we choose we we chose the um, the number three and called it the number one, right? <laughs> right? Like you know, Lambda almost seventy percent, you know, Google Cloud Functions twenty three percent, and then K native, you know, sixteen point six percent, and like, and then Azure Functions, and then like. Open fast at you know half the percent, half the number. But you know when they talk about 
the rest of the pack and and all the other you know quote unquote leaders is like that's a fat long tail, right? If if you take out all the hosted services between from the cloud vendors, you know just because you're the number one of those, there's still a lot of stuff in there. And then maybe maybe this number is increasing, um, but you know don't give up if you're uh, if you're open whisk. Um, <laughs> you know well, you got it is amazing it. just how many. Uh, platforms and options there are because things quickly go to like single digits, but the the list goes on and on, right? You kind of see on the mm-hmm. right hand side of the graph. So so there's a ton of stuff, but it seems like this is clearly, you know, for the if you're going to install something, it's going to be K native. I guess to your point, like I don't know, I just I you know I'm just so skeptical of the serverless or functions that you install and run yourself. It just feels like well, you're going to do Lambda, you're going to do Cloud Function, Azure Functions, like. I, I mean, I guess somebody's going to do it, but it doesn't feel like it's a big, a big need to me. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right, moving on. Bottle Rocket. AWS launches a special purpose container operating system. Have we, yeah. we, uh, have we, have we heard about this before? Has this ever happened before? Were they the first <laughs> ones? I think we've heard about this story many times. No, 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 no. But the, the nice thing is... The, the article that we linked to kind of talks about the backstory about how they wrote this. And they point out that, you know, they are heavily influenced by CoreOS, Rancher OS, and Project Atomic. And so uh, before the show, I just kind of said, you know, hey, this is just, you know, CoreOS 2.0. Uh, maybe there was a CoreOS 2.0. <laughs> but but, but uh, it's it's a, a good article about you know, what they're doing, uh, their goals. And you know it's it's uh, it's part of the the new open source friendly AWS. It's all up on GitHub. Um, you know they've got a roadmap. They want to they want to support on-prem uh, installations. They want to support uh, you know your non x86 architectures. So you know they're they're coming after Rancher and uh, and CoreOS and uh, well not after CoreOS but you know whatever <laughs> Red Hat's doing. Um, and and so it's something we've talked about about a, a least privileged host operating system that just runs containers and gets its configuration from an API. All sounds good, right? Uh, you know, so I don't have anything really negative to say about it. It's it's a uh, it's a good blog post because it's uh, heavy on on the story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's got a good narrative. It's right. But I think I, I think my uh, my favorite thing is when they start getting into the tools. They're like, we've got this. Uh, uh, on 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 host tool for interacting with the repository and retrieving updates called Updog, and at that point I was like yeah. seventeen paragraphs into the article and I'm laughing out loud because <laughs> you know every developer wants to write a tool called Updog because yeah. everyone's going to say like oh Updog what's that do what's Updog <laughs> and you're like exactly. <laughs> well, I always wonder like I don't did they touch on the name because I always remember the movie with the uh, the Wilson brothers Bottle Rocket wasn't that from like I don't know yeah, twenty five yeah. years ago I was like is there some kind of reference here but I guess there wasn't oh, and it had nothing to do with that so Man, um, you have to dig deep is that that Wes Anderson yeah I mean this is this is going back maybe twenty plus years but that's the <laughs> when I first read it I was like that's a weird reference it's like oh they probably have not it has nothing to do with that so no, so no. this I don't know my summary is like I see why AWS built this. I think it's interesting, but I don't really think for the most of us this matters that much. It's like, sure, you can use it. You could use it uh, if you want it to, but it's it's just another container operating system. I'm sure the people at AWS uh, are using it all the time. They're running their containers with it. Give us a little bit more security. So things are good, right? I don't think we need to know anything else. Do we? Is there anything else I need to know about this? Because that's what I try to do. Like, I think I can forget about this. I don't think any customer or clients are going to be asking me about Bottle Rocket. Wow. <laughs> No, but I mean that in a good way. I'm like, it's just the thing they built out. They've got it. Great. But, but, you know, as as like somebody who geeks out on the details and, you know, might actually end up touching that sort of code. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is I like this. I I like knowing where it is on GitHub. I can go read the readme, look around at the issues and be like, it's in good hands. It's in good hands. That's right. We're in good hands with Butter Rocket. All right. I I trust that layer of the infrastructure. And we like the names. So. All right, Matt. Well, hey, listen, some gr- some great news for us. You know, we got a new sponsor here, MongoDB. They're in. Have you heard of MongoDB, Matt? Do you know where they are? Well, let me tell you, Matt. Let me tell you what I want you to know about that. Most people know about MongoDB, at least by name. And certainly, they are one of the biggest players in NoSQL. But if for some reason you're, you're new, Matt, I want you to know that MongoDB is a document-oriented database. Now, what do we mean by that? We're not talking about PDF or Word. We're talking about a database that works with JSON-like structures. 
Are you with me, Matt? Are you following me? I am. I like right. Jason. <laughs> we do. I was going to say, I don't know if this crowd really needs to, us to explain the benefits of JSON, but let's just say uh, the big benefit of these JSON types of documents is that they can be as simple or as complex as you need, and you don't need to spend a bunch of time up front figuring out how to normalize your data, uh, join it across a bunch of tables, as you'd have to do with relational databases like Oracle and MySQL. And let me just say, let me just quick aside here. I never wanted to work on the persistence layer of any project I've been a part of. I always, <laughs> so you know how they're, like we talk about infrastructure developers, developer. yeah. and then it's like, I never, I just pretended like it never existed. So I really appreciate, like the document database, Mongo, it's delivering the experience that I personally wish had existed 20 plus years ago. So this is what I want you to know. If you want to use Mongo, it's uh, beyond cloud ready. It's all about the cloud. And they have this great service called Atlas. Atlas is Mongo's fully managed database as a service. And I want you to know that Atlas runs across all the popular clouds. So that's Amazon, AWS, Azure, Google, GCP. So the big benefit there is that your data can live wherever it needs to be in the same VPC as your other apps, in the right country for your legal and compliance requirements, in the right place for your performance. You name it, you control it, you put that database where you want. And if you are tired of dealing with object relational mapping, and let me tell you, I never dealt with it. I always got on the project and was made sure I never dealt with object oh, relational I, I mapping. I, I know, I never do it. But if, but if you're tired of dealing with it, or you're like me, you never did it uh, before you can even start coding. You should just use MongoDB because it's going to be great. So this is this is some uh, some options for you. First, MongoDB Atlas has a forever free developer tier that you can sign up for. Um, that just works with an email address. So no credit card, no nothing like that. So just go to cloud.mongodb.com, sign up using your email address. Uh, they have a nice, friendly onboarding wizard. I've been through it. I've even done it because, again, it doesn't require object relational database, so I'm happy to try it out. And I've got a little benefit for you here. There's a code. It's Atlas SDT. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-D-T. And when you load up and you sign up, if you go into the accounts and billing area, after you've signed up your account, you're going to get $200 in free credits. So that's going to let you do all kinds of stuff, play with some bigger instances, get access to some of uh, the other paid features of Mongo. So you can try it out, do, do a bunch of stuff like that. And they also want you to know that they've got a conference. It's going to be MongoDB Live. That's the URL, MongoDB Live. Uh, it's a free two-day virtual conference. It's on June 9th and 10th. And you can hear about all the latest news and, of course, watch all the great sessions. So definitely check that out. And, of course... All of this will be in the show notes. It'll be a great check out the conference, check out MongoDB, and we really appreciate them being a sponsor. All right. So, Matt, Next. the other thing. <laughs> that's right. We're, we're, we're reading our reviews. We're, we're being customer-focused this week. That's right. All right. So uh, let's talk about Zoom. Everyone's talking about Zoom. Oh, yeah. And there has been – Zoom has gone – I've never quite seen it. The media cycle has been incredible. They sort of came out of nowhere, I think, to the consumer world, became the de facto – conferencing applications for schools, small companies, maybe the NFL draft. I don't know. Everyone was using Zoom. And then, boom, they got taken down with a ton of bad press around security. So first and foremost, I, I just want to say I'm much more sympathetic to the Zoom company than anyone else. It's like I don't know how you can prepare to go from something like 20 million meetings to 200 million meetings overnight. Like, I just, I don't, it's the kind of thing that you want to happen to your company. But of course, if it happens overnight, like, I don't think anyone could be prepared. And I don't think there's any way you could foresee it coming. So as uh, I guess someone that's managed products and has lived through these cycles where either no one cares about your product or too many care <laughs> about it, I'm very sympathetic uh, to their situation. Uh, what's your take? Did 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 Zoom? Did they did they falter here? Did they make some mistakes that they should have anticipated? Or are you with me that they just like well, it happens? Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is us. Uh, probably we're we're in the you know navel gazing period of like you know the the people in the industry obsessing over the little tiny details. I think uh, this Zoom has had some security. Uh, concerns, but uh, there's an article I'll link to called uh, "Zoom Isn't Malware" from uh, like a, a security malware researcher, and um, like, you know, it, essentially, it's kind of a takedown of this hype about you know Zoom being this bad company doing all sorts of terrible things and you know not being secure and spying on people. It's like you know every every 
you know, uh, zero day exploit, you know, everything that's popped up has been fixed like the next day. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're not, they're being very responsive to everything that comes out um, that, you know, they're all the, they have publicly said that they are shifting all their development and engineering towards, you know, security and, uh, and obviously um, scalability. But they haven't really had those sorts of problems, and you know they they did hire away uh, somebody from uh, Facebook, who's you know n known for being like a security posture, you know, kind of public uh, <laughs> public uh, facing about you know how we talk about security. So um, I think it's a little overblown, um, and 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 our part of the world. Uh, I think you know everybody I know is now on Zoom and. Uh, everyone's, you know, I, but it has popped up, you know, it has yeah. seeped into the, the, the quote unquote regular world. All right, but let's take a couple of them one by one. Let's see. We'll play. We, we can really, you know, Monday morning quarterback, a second guess this, as we say. So first one was that their meeting IDs were essentially just 10 digit numbers, right? Yeah. So, okay. So the problem with that is if it's 10 digit number, fairly easy to guess. And then if you weren't invited to the meeting, you can you could potentially get in pretty easily. So yeah. again, but like feature or bug, right? So when you are using these, especially someone like Zoom, it's like you actually want it to be pretty easy to get into meetings because most, right. at least in the corporate world, if you make, um, I think, you know, one, I think you even mentioned, like if you make it a GUID, right? The, you know, the really long, whatever, like 40 character, obscure, you know, characters, numbers, people, can't, uh, type it on people can't type it. They don't know what it is. It doesn't work on the phone. And then people are pissed that you're using that conference software. They're like, why are we using this software? It's bad. So that one yeah. to me is like, I see why they, they, they did it, right? I can see why they were trying to make it easy. And when you start a company like this, they had to make some choice. Like, we got to make it easy. That's where we're going to hang our hat on. So to me, if I was in the room and they said 10-digit ID, I probably would have been like, makes sense to me. I don't think I would yeah, have yeah. raised the red flag. It's, and, and, you know, and that slippery slope led to you know, no passwords or PIN by default. Right. And I think this is the big one. Right. And so no passwords, no pin and no registration by default. So, again, we've both been on many calls where and just what you said before, someone's on a phone and they want to get into the meeting. And if you require any of that, again, that person is essentially the locked out of the meeting are very frustrated with the meeting software. So, again, on the default side, I know why they did this. Right. Because they are trying to solve that corporate communications problem of executive on the road or really anyone on the road trying to get on their Zoom call before a flight and they want to make it really, really simple. So, I, again, I kind of come back to makes total sense to me. And they had, as far as I know, I mean, I'm, I can't tell you I'm, like historically, but I would assume they've always had the feature to require you know someone oh, yeah. to actually yeah, sign in there. that's always that's there. been there so this is maybe just me channeling my own frustration with all the users and when it's like listen you said you wanted it to be easy that's what you told me and i made it easy <laughs> and i even gave you the option yeah, to, yeah, to make it hard if you want okay. but you're yeah. still mad at me and so this is i just for everybody who's built software where you have the options screen this is just another lesson about the power of defaults right when you pick a default that's pretty much what people consider your product to be, even though you have it in the options screen to change it. Uh, I don't. No one does it. So, again, I feel like that one is. And of course, they've gone through right, and they've changed this now that they've seen this rapid usage. Right? They've, they've clearly said, "Okay, we're going to change that." And then, of course, um, I, I don't know how quite you do this, but when you have a lot of, I'm just going to say, young people, not going to pick on anyone, but I guess old people too. When you get a whole bunch of people on there that want to do bad things. Then suddenly, some things in your product, product like renaming yourself, you know, in, yeah. inside the thing, or taking command. Because this is the other thing; it's usually in most corporate meetings, you want it easy for someone to grab control of the screen, right? You don't want to make mm -hmm. it hard because just someone will say, "Like, I want to, can I sh share for a minute?" And be like, "Yeah, do it," right? So yeah. clearly, though, when you have a bunch of bad actors that are going to either like write inappropriate <laughs> names. <laughs> grab the uh the screen and show oh, inappropriate yeah. content you know but i don't know this is just a part where again i know they have the capabilities for the if you will the it's like a webinar mode right with only the yeah, speaker yeah. can do it so so again i, I kind of come back and i just say hey everyone went to zoom because they made a bunch of this stuff easy and then it isn't a huge surprise that there were repercussions from that but i think zoom 
I mean, I look at all these things and I've gotten all the emails because I'm like just like a Zoom user like the rest of us. I'm like, I feel like they've responded many times. I don't feel like any of these these activities were really malicious, right? Even the right. one with the Facebook SDK and stuff like that. It looked like to me that they were just trying to make it easy to log in with Facebook. I didn't think they were doing yeah. anything like location tracking or trying to be, they weren't just trying to scare you, right? They're just trying to make it easy. Yeah, I know. I, I, I totally agree. And uh, if you had the one quick note about the webinar mode, uh, I was telling my wife, uh, we, we were using Zoom for birthday calls, you know, the whole, <laughs> all the family and in-laws sure, and, and, you know, everybody get in on a call to sing happy birthday to people. And I was like, Next one, we put it in webinar mode, and you start determining who in your family can talk at which time. <laughs> they should call that kingdom mode or something like that. Yeah. So, well, it's no fun. It is interesting because Skype and Google have obviously you know benefited greatly from, I guess, let me, let's call it the the Zoom bad media cycle. But I don't know. I mean, both of those, I've used them both, and I I think they're both fine products. Um, at the same time, I just I kind of look at it like. I don't know if anyone's taken the the scrutiny level to uh, Microsoft Skype or in this or Teams or to Google Hangouts the way that uh, Zoom has gotten a look. So maybe that's just the luck yeah. of the draw, right? You know, uh, the media can make you a big thing, but can also destroy you. So, uh, and then, <laughs> well, and I mean, they 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 haven't been under the under the uh, the magnifying glass yet, you know, because I know Google. Google's probably safer than most because, you know, the fact that Google Classrooms has been deployed for, you know, a while mm -hmm. and targeted at kids, kids are like the ultimate fuzz testers, right? They are going to find every hole, right. everything that can be exploited. I mean, um, I remember, I remember back in my school days, uh, I got called to the principal's office because I found my way into the teacher's network and <laughs> like, guess what? Teachers didn't use passwords. And, you know, I wasn't, maliciously doing anything but i took everything <laughs> and so it's like you know and if, if i was doing the same thing today i would have been like like uh my my youngest you know giving email addresses to every single third grader right that would have been you know it it's in the blood right and and so kids are going to find anything unsecured and you know so so google is probably safer i mean just because they've got that culture of you know zero trust networks and all that fun stuff microsoft teams i don't know right because uh it's it's definitely getting a lot of schools are using it now and uh you know because people aren't doing uh, as the the level the sheer volume of of webinars and and maybe because they don't have an easy to guess meeting id number format um, they're not getting the same, uh, you know, zoom bombing kind of things, but it can be that much better. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a couple of thoughts here. One is I'm not going to name any names on this, on this side of it, but I do want to go over this. It's like, I probably like yourself, I have the privilege to meet with lots of different companies. Some of these companies produce messaging products, some dope. Sometimes when I'm on right with one company, that's a major company, they will, and, and I'm using a competing product because that's what my company provides me, right? They'll sometimes say, well, we can't use this product because they think it's unsecure. So then we have to like switch over to theirs, which when it's mm -hmm. possible is fine. But then, some, but then maybe later in the week or something, I'll have a meeting with that other company, right? And it's the same kind of thing. They will deem the other big company's product as insecure. So all these companies in, in many ways are sort of like some kind of weird standoff where they all end up – citing some okay, security policy yeah, yeah. that the, the the messaging system that they don't either build or use themselves, everything else is not secure. And it's like, it doesn't work this way because etiquette is, in my <laughs> world, etiquette is like, if you schedule the meeting, you pick this, the conferencing system, right? Because you have to pick with what you have access to. Yes. And you can't just, I mean, some companies, we, they do do this. You have to, like, or I have companies where I actually have to tell them, I need you to schedule the meeting because I want to use your thing, you know, because you want to use your thing and I can't set it up. But it, like to me, it's just stupid, right? Because everybody, like half <laughs> these people, have worked at all these other places, and we've all used every single one of these every at, at different jobs. And then suddenly, someone gets on and cites some obscure security, and it's like, listen, this is not right. This is not. This doesn't make any sense. All of these are fine, and then yeah, 
back to the Google moment. It's like, I get it. Like, I think Google Classroom is very good. I've now gotten up close look at it with my son. It's, I think it's a fantastic product. But, you know, for Google to come out and be in Zoom, you're like, I don't know. This is a real slippery slope because a lot of people have issues yeah. with what Google's doing. You know, with all yeah, the, you yeah. know, people start, you know, to your point about like not giving your child a Google account until they're older, you're like, I don't know if I want them tracking all this data about my children yet. No so, yeah. so it's a very frustrating thing. And I, I don't know, as I watch all these companies kind of pointing fingers, I just kind of step back and be like, listen, Zoom seems like the least of the worries. And in, in this nest of craziness <laughs> of messaging, it's just, to me, it's not a problem. I, I, I do. One of the, the proud points as a parent is my children have a, a, a very healthy skepticism about the privacy policies of all the social media companies. You know, they're they like, oh, yeah, Facebook's trying to do this, and I'm glad we don't use that. And, you know, it's like, I guess that's, you know, you can see where that, that level of paranoia slips into your children, you know. And, um, slips in? What do you mean? In your house, it's been injected. You... Yeah, right, right. But, but one of the funny things about companies adopting messaging is one of the customers I, I dealt with did not have a video conferencing platform, or maybe it was, you know, it was one of the, the, uh, the older ones that nobody likes. Mm-hmm. And so we had kind of provided a, a meeting ID for them. And we're like, oh, yeah, whenever we have a call, we'll just reuse this ID over and over again. Well, it turned out that they had just taken that ID and started sharing it internally. And so I like hopped on a call and there were like all these people from the bank. And I'm like, what are you guys doing on here? And they're like, we're having a meeting. <laughs> so That's they, had taken, they had taken uh, our meeting and started using it for themselves. So, uh, you know, well done, Zoom. Um, you, you got some viral adoption there. But uh, again... Microsoft sales wins the day. You know, sure. Office 365 slammed in there, and now they're a team shop. That's right. Because um, they got it for free. That's right. So, that you can't beat free. All right. Well, this takes us, <laughs> this is a good segue to our next topic here. So, Slack has come out with their latest update. And I'm going to tell you right now, Matt, I am worried about Slack. So, oh, no. here is where we're coming. So, I am a, a user of Teams and Slack, you know, use them quite a bit. So, these were the new, the big change that I see in Slack was essentially they gave us a whole bunch of options in the top left-hand corner. So I'm going to read these off to you, and I want you to tell me how often you actually use this. Now, of course, you can click the show less button in Slack, which yep. is exactly what I, I clicked did. Clicked it every Cause, single because, one. Because this is, this, so just so you're clear, like this is what I think 90% of us did. They're like, they spent a ton of time and effort putting in all of this new stuff for us. And then they added show less. And what did we do? We all immediately clicked show less. So let's go through the ones that we want. It's like one. At the very top, they have threads. Do you use threads a lot? Is that a place where you actually spend a lot of time viewing messages? Yeah, I do use that button. Okay. That one, because if you'll notice, when you click show less, that one stays on the ground. So that yeah, one yeah. is acceptable. Mentions and reactions in Slack. Again, do you mm, use that one? Not, not as much as show threads, and that's not very often. Okay, so so that's the first one. And again, that one you can't even get rid of. That's in the, the permanent one. All right, now we're getting to the ones that we have. Okay, drafts. This is my take on Slack. I think of Slack as like for pretty short messages that you essentially write, you know, send, and walk away. Like I think if you are drafting up a long Slack message, you're in the wrong messaging platform. Yes. That needs to become... Potentially an email, potentially an article, a wiki, something else. Like, do not write long Slack messages because it messes up the channel, right? Yeah. We're not going to see it all, and I don't want to even have to read it. So the entire notion of having a drafts folder to me is completely wrong. Like, the people in Slack, mm-hmm. in fact, that looks like email. This look, After they complain about email for years, dra- having a drafts folder is almost an admission that you need an email interface, which is exactly what we do not want from Slack. <laughs> Your thoughts, Matt? Yes. So the beauty of this button adding to the UI, as soon as I added it, I clicked on it and it was full of drafts. All the times where I started typing something on my phone and closed the app. Yes. Yeah. I had like a hundred drafts of things that, you know, over you know the years of using Slack that I had never sent, never cared to revisit. And they were just junked up in here and it was like holding, I don't know, memory, but I could never find it. And I never cared to follow up on those drafts anyway. Oh, right. you so and I could not be of- more in agreement because drafts, I'm going to actually go further. It's like the way they had implemented drafts before was perfect because if you typed a message and you didn't send and then you clicked away from that, that channel, gone. right? <laughs> it was just gone forever. But if you clicked back on that channel, 
you would see it. You would actually see the message like actually in your your uh, your text uh, editor ready to send it and be like, oh, that's, that's right. Like, but I only at yeah. But at that point, you could be like, yeah, you'll, you'll either send it or like, oh, you'll just like, you know, control A, start typing a new message. And that was perfect because you didn't have to think about it. You're like, the draft's always sitting there for me. If I think of it and I go back, I'll be reminded. But otherwise, I do not want a menu item with drafts. This is explicitly what I don't want. This is the exact problem with email. All right. Well, and, and drafts is the first to get below the show, show more. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was 100%. So, yeah, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> All right, next, saved. Saved. Do you use saved? I don't saved? even know what saved is. Ex- done. Exactly. Like, we don't want to save end? stuff, right? No. I mean, this is the idea of like you um, save messages and files to come back later. It's like, no, I don't want any of this. I don't want to save this kind of stuff. I don't want to have another hierarchy to manage. I'm not even sure how I get into the saved. Awful. I'm, I'm, I'm literally Awful. going through my nine slacks right now and clicking show less in every single channel. <laughs> saved. <laughs> Hate it. Hate it. People. People is a place where you can Wait, go. Wait, you skip you skip channel browser. Uh oh, I don't have that one because I'm on the. I think I'm on the free one. Oh, hold on, we'll get there. We'll, okay. <laughs> well, next one on my list. Listen, we're going my list. People, people, which is an online directory of all the people in Slack. Again, total waste of time. I don't. I don't want to see this at all. I don't even know why this needs to be a menu item. I can easily find the people that I want in the channel. I don't think this is a, a real problem at all. I wasn't, but now that I see it, I'm like, well, at least now I know how I can find out how many people. Look, are you've in never even clicked on any of these as we go through. That does it all this time. Next one, apps. 364 in software defined talk. Apps. So again, apps. It's fine that you can add apps to, to Slack. In fact, I even like that. I like the fact that you can add them. I'm, I'm not again. I'm not saying I'm against this no. level of extensibility. What I am against of having this front and center. Like apps to me needs to be like further away. Like if you want to add an app. I you it, need to work. It's for already it. under the show list. What I want, what I want is to be able to turn apps off. You know, <laughs> like I don't care if somebody somewhere decided like this app needs to be around. It's like that stupid bot won't shut the hell up. I want it out of this channel. And you know, they're they're like, oh no, this bot needs to be here to you know respond with some snarky comment every time you type some word. And I'm like, no, kill that app for me. You know, I, that's what I want. Hey, this and, is again, and, for all the pro- product managers out there, this is, this no, is no, your no, life. No. You add somebody I, wanted apps and now Matt wants you to take it off. So you got to make it a configurable yeah. option. Get rid of and, that. And, right? and, and, and I've, I've, I've actually followed up on that. And that request is like three years old. <laughs> you know, like, there are people like, shut that bot up. I all want right. to meet a bot. That's apps. And then the final one that I'm showing in, in that top thread and this is probably the one I even hate the most, is files. Files. No, I do not want to manage files in Slack. That is exactly why I have other file management capabilities, Dropbox, Box, Google Drive, whatever. Like, I do not – it's fine that I can post files in, in Slack. I get that. But I do not want yeah. a tab dedicated to files where I can start adding them, deleting them, managing – it just becomes another thing to manage, and it's completely the wrong place to be managing files. Like, you really right. should be posting your files to some type of other file management system and if you use it in Slack, it's just kind of a, a uh, an ethereal kind of file that comes and goes. We don't need to manage them. I don't want this as a top-level menu well, item either. Yes, I don't want it at the top level. Now that I know where it is, we can start <laughs> deleting them so we get more space on our free plan. <laughs> that's, that's it. Well, there you go. That, that may be the only use for us. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're Slack, here's what everybody using the free plan wants. I'll give you five bucks a month for two gigs of space. <laughs> that's it. That's right. Done. You know, that, that's done it. and done. Sold. We, 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 we can't pay by the user. You, they, they never seem to understand that all of us using Slack for free cannot pay by the user. You know, when, when your Slack channel has, you know, 15,000 people in it and it's a free chat platform, you know, we actually become admins who have to go and delete files just to you know, have a week or two of back back scroll. You know, if you let us pay you for for more back scroll, and the, and, and and the most ridiculous thing, the most ridiculous thing is they're like, would you like to see more back scroll? Give us money. We're already storing it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's they're yes. paying to store yes. it. Yes, yes, exactly. They they have years of your data. You know, yes. they are storing all your Slack data. It's not like it's gone. It's just you know, it's being held hostage. Until you decide that you want to pay, you know, $300,000 a month for your Slack channel. And like, that's never going to happen. 100%. So this is back to, so we've gone through the ones I can see. And so I'm just going to summarize that as like Slack spent a ton of time adding whatever, almost what, five or six new 
things are you know, essentially making you more prominent and we're, we all hate them. We, I, at least I'm going to speak for everyone, you know, cause <laughs> no one get, and so, but more importantly, they didn't give us the stuff that we want, right. To your point, Matt, like give us a, a way to give you money for just more storage. And the reason I, I opened this saying I'm worried about them is that I use teams and teams is, it's really kind of a different, and I think people make a lot of mistakes when they compare teams and Slack. I think of them as like totally different products, but in teams, the one thing they do share is you create a channel. But in Teams, when you create a channel, you don't get like the immediate, you have to kind of click down to actually get to the point you can actually post messages. What you get when you click a create a channel is you get, if you will, a, a bar at the top. And what does it have? It has post, files, wiki, right? And then all of that is kind of front and center. And then if you want, you can go down to like the stream of messages. So I feel like this is, you know, bad by slack following a bad in the case they're trying to do some of the stuff teams is doing and it's explicitly the wrong direction like what's great about slack is it was all oriented around channels that really you know if you will glorified well, rsc rooms that were really easy to speed communication and by putting all of this stuff and kind of looking more like teams like they're losing in my opinion a little bit of their soul like they're losing like what made it great yeah but 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 who pays them the sort of people who will fault back to teams because you know it's the corporate standard right so they they need to be like similar but better and so they do have to kind of embrace you know the the team's ethos to be more corporate friendly because you know as much as i like it as a free user like i'm not paying them and you know the things that they're adding make it more friendly to the paying users well, let me tell you, this is the way I would push back on that if I was at Slack, is they need to come up with a metric, and I'm sure they already have it. It's like messages sent per user, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you in Teams, Teams, the, when you're in a large group, a large company with Teams, it's, it is a completely different environment, right? There's a place that you can you know, post messages, but almost no one posts any messages, right? It's more about posting <laughs> <it> files <laughs> and the wiki and, you know, you end up with all these things. So if you, I, I would bet a million dollars, right? Messages sent per user in Teams is going to be like less than one a day, right? We're in wow. Slack. If you're in Slack, you know, you're going to be whatever, you know, you're going to have a lot of messages going back and oh. forth because oh, yeah. that's a I'm real sure. sign of, you know, per, you know, we can, you know, we can have a whole nother conversation about productive use. But I think in the Microsoft environments, you're going to see a lot more emails being sent, very few channels with a lot of activity, but mostly being used for posting uh, files. And this is why people keep comparing these. It's like, and the reason is, is like when you just center on these products, like the center of Slack is this interactive chatting, right? The center of Teams is totally different. It's a combination of SharePoint, the wiki stuff, collaboration. And then, of course, it has a huge email component because it's tied to Office. So, so kind of back to like, you know, be, you know me providing uh, my opinion to the product management at Slack, it's like, hey, no, like you should be looking at and going to people and say, listen, we see people that use Slack send in whatever X, you know, 100 messages per day. And that's really showing productive use. When we look at a Microsoft, soft environment what do we see we see a bunch of people you know probably sending email so slack that's my take that's that's okay. our, that, that's our thorough review of slack who pays the bills that's right who pays the bills <laughs> all right circle ci matt they raised 100 circle million dollars this is your this is your block i honestly i know nothing about circle ci so i immediately was like why is someone raising 100 million dollars in this in this area what possibly can they be solving <laughs> exactly exactly matt I don't know. I mean, that's a, what do you mean? No, no, this is your world. No, 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 no. I mean, I know what they're doing, right? They're in a very crowded market of, you know, CICD products, right? You've got, mm -hmm. you've got your 800 pound gorilla Jenkins, which is, you know, there's a commercial aspect there. They got the, the cloud bees folks. You've got uh, every cloud vendor is now offering, you know, their hosted service to do it. You got your Azure DevOps. Uh, you've got, uh, your Atlassian suite doing mm -hmm. Babu. You've got, um, you know, Travis CI going private equity, uh, kind of imploding. Right. Um, you've got so many options. Uh, GitHub, you know, GitHub. Uh, Did you already mention Jenkins? What about Jenkins? That seems yeah, like yeah, they're, they're, right? they're, 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 they're the, they're the 800 pound group. Yeah. I was right? going to say, that's the one they're taking on. It's like, why are they trying to take on Jenkins? I, I, I don't think, like, why do they get so much money for this? <sighs> I don't know um, because what's you know and 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 folks like GitLab you know I under I understand GitLab right they're they're 
you know, if they took 100 million, I'd be like, makes sense, right? They've got a sprawling platform that is attacking a lot of verticals. They've got a lot of territory. But if you read the the Circle CI um, post about, you know, what they're doing, they're talking about how well they work with all these other things. And half the other things that they mention are like, those guys are coming for your piece of that pie, right? So they're like, oh, we work great with AWS and Azure and GitHub. I'm like, those are your competitors. Um, so, I, I mean, if they were, and and in their, you know, their announcement, they say they've got uh, uh, 30,000 customers. That's pretty awesome. Um, I wonder if that number includes all the free users because CircleCI is, is, right. is right? First and question, you, how many people are giving you money? <laughs> you know, when you say 30,000 customers and 800,000 users, well, you know, you and I have worked in open source companies before. It's like, that's, those are easy numbers to play around with. Right. Um, and, you know, so, so $100 million, if, if they said we're hiring professional services people to, tackle, to go in and, and you know, kickstart all of our customers, I'd be like, you're going to make your money back. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, but they said that it's for, for product. And that's where I start to get worried about, you know, if, if, if the product they have right now doing CICD isn't capable, you know, sufficient, somebody in one of these verticals right next to them is going to crowd them out fast. You know, so they need to be expanding beyond just their, you know, they need to take kind of the GitLab approach, in my opinion, because if, you know, just because you're the best at your one thing, there's a lot of options out there for CICD and somebody's going to give it away. That's the problem, right? Somebody's going to give it away. Um, and so you need to make sure that you're super sticky and do more than one thing really well. So that's that's my hot take All as right. somebody who doesn't pay I, for a lot Well, of listen, software. we cheer for everyone. I hope it works out for Circles DI. I, I don't know. I did, It's a lot of money, though. Like every time we see someone raise a lot of money like this, we're like, woof, I'm worried about well, you. But just, hopefully just they'll do it. Every time somebody raises money, think to yourself, what would I do with a second mortgage? <laughs> That's, that's right. <laughs> right now, not much. I probably just yeah. uh, sit on it. <laughs> There'd be very little to, yeah, place yeah. to spend no, that money. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, the next one. So A16Z, our friends, our grid friends at A16Z, they posted the Marketplace 100, which is essentially the top 100 uh, marketplaces online. So it's like the number one is Airbnb and number two is DoorDash. So basically, you know, people that have created some market to do something on uh, yeah, internet. Yeah. And so if we look at this list here, and we're obviously in some uh, probably a, a global recession. So my question is, and Airbnb being one, right? They just raised a bunch of debt. And I think, you know, they're definitely, they're a company that I think we all think is going to survive, but certainly they're going to um, not be valued as greatly as they were just a few months ago. So my question to you, Matt, is as we look through this top 100, and it's shocking when you see like how many different marketplaces there are. I mean, there's mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. from pets to fashion, childcare, you name it, it's on here. Yeah. Next year from now, are, are we going to see, <laughs> is this going to be like a top 50? Well, like are, how many of these companies brutal. are going to make it? Yeah, yeah, that, that is brutal. I mean, when, when you first sent me this list, I made the mistake of starting at the back. <laughs> it's starting at 100 and working well. I was like, I've never heard of these. And then as you, you know, and then I quickly corrected and started at number one. But as you go through the list, at least a quarter to a third of them are travel and tickets and, you know, going things that involve leaving the home (laughs) and being in crowds. And uh, it's going to be rough. I I know uh, because, you know, because of the, you know, the the COVID-19, you know, everybody going into quarantine, there's been a tremendous spike and real estate listings as people with their Airbnb properties that are now empty are putting them on the market to try to stop the bleeding because they can't pay the mortgages because nobody pays to rent these places. And, you know, that's definitely had an influence here in Sydney. Uh, Sydney has, you know, especially where I live, has a lot of rental properties. People like to come to the beach and stuff. And like a lot of stuff has flooded the market. And then <laughs> the, the kicker to that is, uh, they don't do they don't do like um, realtor led open homes here. Mm-hmm. They, they they have like we will be open. Everything is just an open home at a thirty minute time period, and everyone just runs in. So they're like <laughs> oh, can't geez. have those anymore. Jeez. Everything's online, and they the first you know like a uh, few days they they stopped online auctions because they weren't worked out right. You know like people are trying to sell houses without going into the houses. 
Hmm. And, you know, anyway, the point is, looking at this list, I would I would hazard to guess that, I don't know, 10, 15 percent of these companies will be gone next year. Well, there's a stunning um, if you know as you read down in the post, there are some stunning statistics in here. Like one is of the 10. Uh, so I guess within this top 100, there are 10 that focus in on travel. So Airbnb competitors. Would you like to guess how much market share Airbnb has in the travel? It is showing here 95 percent. So talking 95 percent of that marketplace is made up of Airbnb. So everyone else is 5%. So, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that I think Airbnb had to raise some money and they're cl- clearly under some duress, but I mean, that kind of lead is j- like, it's almost unheard of, right? To have 95% of a market. So I don't know. I don't know what these other companies can possibly do to break out. It seems like they'll either go out of business or be, you know, sold off like pretty shortly, or they're going to have to come up with some kind of offering here. And I, as you kind of go down, I mean, you, you really get a sense of, I think it's, they kind of list out here like the top four marketplaces really make up, I think, 76% of all of the revenue. So that's really Airbnb, which is, you know, travel, DoorDash, which is essentially, you know, takeout food, Instacart, yeah, groceries, Instacart. and then Postmates, another uh, takeout. So, so it just shows you there's really only in each one of these, these verticals, if you will, I mean, it looks like there's really room for maybe one or two big players so so it's interesting you look at a top 100 and you're like wow this will be a fun list to go through but if it's really only 20 <laughs> industries it's like yeah next year this time yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah. well I but think- it's good for the game company right uh <laughs> who's that steam is, it, is that who that is for is the, the gaming company they're gonna do well. yeah they're gonna yeah. do well they're gonna they're they're gonna do great so wow yeah yeah well, I mean, yeah, some of them, the ones that I think are just weird is there's like a, there's a, a weddings. There's only one one there. So I guess that's good to be in. Child care, there's six, right? And then there's just weird stuff. Like one is celebrities. Like what does that even mean? Like I can get online and like, like I don't celebrity even, marketplaces. I don't get you know it. Yeah, they're all trapped at home. I don't want them either. That's right. So it's like, yeah. So, all right. So I don't know. So maybe if you're going to start an online marketplace, uh, don't do it in travel. That's going to be my message to you. Don't, don't, just don't do it. So, all right. Well, final topic of the day, Matt, and our our quick roundup is uh, IBM. uh, They announced a new CEO and our, uh, the, the former CEO of, of Red Hat. He gets, uh, I guess, a promotion. He's now the president of IBM. Paul Cromer takes over as the CEO of Red Hat. He's a longtime Red Hat person. And then I actually thought, and this is way in the weeds, I thought the actually more interesting one was that IBM uh, had the CTO of Bank of America is actually taking over um, the IBM Cloud Group, which I thought was really interesting. And so of all the things here, I thought that to me was the most interesting one because I think... Clearly, Red Hat's going to do what it's been doing. They have a long-time person running that company, so I don't think there'll be very big, big changes. I think the biggest, hardest part of that IBM strategy would be how do you take over and what are you going to do with the IBM cloud? So the fact that he was the former CTO of Bank of America, I guess, tells me they want to focus in on very enterprise sales to the world's largest companies. But I don't know. I don't know how that background and that kind of mentality, and I, don't, I certainly don't know the organizational structure, but if he's really leading it all... It, it just begs a lot of questions, like, how's he going to make sense of all of that? So that was my take. My take was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just sort of a lot of question well, marks there. I'll be interested to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming from a huge enterprise, obviously, he's you know, familiar with uh, the challenges of working at somewhere like IBM. Um, I would hazard to guess he's going to be more of like a field CTO kind of role where, you know, he's like, you're a big organization. I came from a big organization. Let's compare notes. <laughs> and you know, seriously, you know, you, no, I agree. His name, I guess, CTO, right? to say it, Howard Bova. And I, you know, this is the part I don't know. Maybe he's he's brought in, like you said, as as really just a an executive salesperson. Um, just yeah. the fact that it said head of its cloud business, because to me, those are where the thorniest issues are going to be. And even in, you know, his open letter um, that uh, Arvind uh, Krishna, the new CEO of IBM, said, he he really lays it out. He basically just says. IBM needs to, to ultimately win the uh, the cloud architectural, uh, I guess, game going forward. Now, really, I I read that as just a proxy of like I you know if you believe IBM is going to have record growth, you believe that Red Hat OpenShift is going to become the dominant way enterprises deployed, you know, their next group of digital transformation modern applications. So if you're buying the stock of IBM, because he just says it right here. I mean, he says, "quote We have to win the architectural battle in the cloud." 
And he basically goes, and I think the way he even says it here, there's a unique window of opportunity for IBM and Red Hat to establish Linux, containers, and Kubernetes as the new standards. We can make Red Hat OpenShift the default choice for hybrid cloud in the same way that Red Hat Enterprise Linux is the default choice for the operating system. So there you have it. I mean, I, you know what there I like here? It. Like he put it out there. Like he, they, that is a, like people will criticize executives for making things that are impossible to understand. I'm like, I totally understand on that. Yep. You can decide. I will let the listener decide. You can bet <laughs> on that if you want, right? You know, but, but it's yes. a clear choice. It's like, can they do that? That seems like a huge, well, huge goal, but a very hard one to achieve. Yeah. I mean, what else is he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, well, uh, we're IBM. Uh, we know we, the, the alternative is like, what, double down on mainframes? No. I mean, we, we have to go after that market because everybody knows that's the future. Right. So good luck storming the castle. You know, uh, you got your work cut out for you. You know, you hired, uh, you, you bought yourself a red hat. You got a lot of smart folks there. Good luck, man. I, I, I'm with you. I think we just have to go back. Good luck. We cheer for everyone. We want everyone to succeed. It's, it is dough. <laughs> Somehow, uh, though, as we cheer for everyone to succeed, <laughs> someone won't. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, listen, I get it. But I do. I'm going to end on, I like the fact he so clearly articulated the big bet. Because, you know, everyone can make their own choice, to your point about earlier, right? Everyone can make their own choice if that's a good bet or not. So, all right. All right, Matt. Well, I think we did it. Did we do it? Did we go fast enough, you think? Or do you think we're going to get so. a, Are we going to get another bad review? Oh, it's like, we can't, <laughs> we can't take it. I can't take any more bad reviews. Um, well, again, we want to thank our, our sponsor, Mongo, so check them out. Uh, some conferences coming up. I don't really know. I mean, the, everything's going to be virtual. So I already mentioned the Mongo DB Live. Check that one on June 9th. You still uh, ChefConf, right? We still June 2nd? Every, all yeah, digital? Yeah. There's going to be a whole bunch of additional webinars. It's going to kind of sprawl out over several days, but whatever. Yeah. Right. Well, another one, even sooner, is All Day DevOps, and we've got uh, – one of uh, Software Defined Talk listeners here, uh, Michael, he's going to be speaking at it, and that's always a good conference. Lots of a variety of different speakers. So check out All Day's DevOps. That's going to be on the April 17th. And then who knows? Maybe this summer. I still listed him here. Maybe that's me being optimistic. I still have some conferences that are still scheduled to be in person li listed in August. So hopefully um, some people will be able to go, go check that out. Also, I want to thank, I did get some uh, listener feedback. I sent st stickers to Mark in the Netherlands. So he's probably over there hanging out with Cote, you know, while they're in quarantine together. But if you want a sticker, just send your pulse address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, Matt, what is your pick of the week? I've got two picks. Uh, the first pick is uh, one of my favorite podcast I've mentioned before. Uh, it's called The Memory Palace. It's yes. uh, usually five to 10 minute long podcast. He takes some, you know, historical person thing and makes a very short podcast about it. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, he, most recent one that I listened to is called uh, uh, Music to Wash Hands By. It is 20 podcasts are 20 stories that take 20 seconds long. So <laughs> just to watch your hands. Nice. Yeah, it's awesome. So, so each one is like, you know, three, three sentences, maybe, you know, it just, and then you're like, Oh wait, pause. And you think about it. And you're like, Oh, that was a good story. And then like, there's 20 of them. It's really great. Um, and then my other pick is a book uh, called disunited nations. Um, this is from one of the guys who was uh, at a, like a, global planning group called Stratfor. Um, I think they were disbanded, like when the founders died and he was one of the other partners. Anyway, he's got his own, uh, I think his name's Peter Zahan or something like that. Um, this new book is called Disunited Nations. It's kind of projecting current global trends as the U.S. kind of withdraws from being the world's policeman. You know, and, and like it's, he talks about like what, you know, a handful of countries, you know, the top 15 countries or so are going to do, you know, what's going on with China, uh, with demographics and, you know, socioeconomics and, uh, you know, Brazil, India, you know, UK, Germany, you know, um, anyway, it's a great read. Uh, fascinating read. He's got a, a, a mailing list that, you know, he posted an article a week. Uh, I love it. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. And uh, I've seen a lot of uh, other folks on Twitter 
picking up this book and uh, enjoying it as well. So Disunited Nations, go read that. All right, good. Good choices there. I like it. Um, all right, well, a couple of recommendations from me. One, I, I do want to say we've done some interviews lately. We've been throwing them in the feed. Hopefully you're enjoying them. Last week was uh, Justin Garrison. Cote did a nice uh, interview, interview with him about cloud-native in- infrastructure. And a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Miles about containers and Kubernetes. We'll probably have another interview next week. So love to hear if you liked interviews, don't like the interviews, who we should interview. You know, we're always looking for stuff like that. So you can just, you know what you can do? Get in the Slack channel. You know, so just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. You'll see the link right there. Join the Slack channel and then tell us what's good, what's bad, or uh, criticize Matt Ray. That's, that's what I like to do in there. There you go. Uh, and my recommendations this week, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. I've got some time on my hands. So first one, uh, long-time recommendation here. So I'm just, you know, tripling down on Ozark Season 3. Absolutely loved it. Binged the whole thing in a few days. Uh, if you've seen the previous seasons of Ozark, you will certainly like this season of Ozark. Um, it's awesome. And if you've never seen the entire series, well, lucky for you. I'd go start at the beginning. Watch it all the way through. And the other one uh, that has made the rounds of all over the world is Tiger King. So I was encapsulated by, I mean, not encapsulated. (laughs) What am I trying to say? I was, maybe I was encapsulated. I was entranced by it. Like, so I don't know. People, I know there's been some backlash, but Tiger King, I mean, as a documentary in Netflix, it's, it goes so many different directions. And it's, I mean, you just can't even believe all of these things, things happen to one group of people and, and this strange group of people. So I, I'm a holdout. I am a holdout. You, I, I know. I, I think I, I, you know, I debated whether even saying this out because I think some people are like, oh, I don't want to watch it. No, watch it. I just, I, you cannot help but be entertained by it. So, uh, so, so I'm I'm going to give you. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm giving everyone permission to watch Tiger King. Watch Tiger King and enjoy <laughs> it. I I enjoyed it, so I think you should use it. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, if this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, well, welcome. Make sure to go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you'll find all the different show notes, everything we mentioned in uh, the show today. You'll find uh, links to our sponsor, MongoDB. So again, thanks to them, and you'll uh, find ways to interact with us. So, with all that being said. We will talk to you next time. Bye.